Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning, family. Pastor Pete here. I um, just want to say good morning and welcome to our morning service this morning. For those who are online, thank you for joining us. Um, hey, I just want to give a shout out for um, last week as we had our evening service, uh, first evening service with New Vision at the Lemon Grove site. Thank you for all coming out and being a part of it. Again, we're going to be there tonight at five o'clock. So come join us. Um, the Lemon Grove site is at 2770 Glebe Avenue in Lemon Grove. Um, we just look forward to seeing you. I and mean, we'll be blessed. We're going to be social distancing. We're going to have the mask. We have some things organized for the children a little bit more this uh, uh, tonight. So we just want to invite you to come on out. Hey, we've been uh, looking at uh, studying Second Peter on Sunday morning. So we want you to open up your Bibles to Second Peter, the second chapter. We're going to be looking at verses four and five as we do in a sermon series called Grow. In fact, my message is called Doom of the Deceitful in part one. We're going to have a second part next week. So we're just looking at verses four and five this week and then next week, verses six through 11. So you could go ahead this week and study some of that. And so we're going to get into that. I once heard of this agnostic who really wrote a letter, who was a farmer and wrote to this editor of a newspaper. And he said this, in defiance of your God, I plowed my fields this year on Sunday. I disconfertilized them on Sunday. I planted them on Sunday. I cultivated them on Sunday and I reaped them on Sunday. This October, I had the biggest crop I have ever had. How do you explain that? And the editor of the paper replied, God does not always settle his accounts in October. I love that. I love what he's saying. As we've been studying in chapter two of Second Peter, though many false prophets and teachers might be prospering today, it doesn't mean that God will not bring them hammer down on them one day. And chapter two will remind us of that. We know that it's demonic influence when leaders lead sheep astray, and so there's judgment of those demonic leaders. We studied verses one through three last week, and it was just kind of an overview of chapter two, and we looked at that last week. But as you continue on in chapter two, he's going to start getting into some more details about the issue of judgment of these false teachers and these false prophets. And so it really in verses 11, four through 11, it's really a discourse as relates to what we were talking about of ju- the promised judgment in verse three. He will speak about the consequences of the false teachers who exploited God's people and the hope of the righteous living in the world of deception. He illustrates the judgment in the next few verses. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at verses four and five and next week, six through 11. And we'll see God will judge justly both the righteous and the unrighteous. So I want to read the passage this morning as we look at it, and we're going to be able to expound on it. It says this in verse four, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them in chains of darkness to be served for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray your hand as we just begin to expound on your word. Lord, give me your words. May your Holy Spirit teach now because your your spirit speaks today. May you speak to the people that are watching. May you speak to the people that are receiving. And Lord, may these words that I bring, Lord, be be understanding. May they understand your words. And that, Father, in the time and the days that we're living, may it be relevant to the things we're experiencing. So I pray your hands of blessings uh, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Guys, as we're beginning to start chapter two here, starting at verse four, we're gonna see that fallen angels will not be exempt from judgment. And you're gonna see that in, in verse four. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to reserve for judgment. Oftentimes we're hearing today with loud shouts of voices happening. We, today we see signs that read no justice no peace. We know that there cannot be justice unless there is judgment. And Peter reminds us of the judgment that will come, not just to the false prophets and teachers and angels, but it's a warning to all humanity. It's a warning to all of us who would reject Christ. There is a, a judgment coming. But the text here is really going to deal with really um, two things this morning. Actually, there's three illustrations you're going to give in this passage. We're going to look at two today and one next week in the hope of that. But the reality this morning, we're going to look at two illustrations as he illustrates about God's judgment. One's going to be the judges of judgment of fallen angels. And the one's going to be the judgment of the ancient city of, uh, in the time of Noah. This, this morning, I want to talk about angels with you a little bit. The first thing is we have to look at that angels were originally created for service, right? We have heavenly angels. And that word heavenly angels are really translates in the Hebrew and Greek. They're, they're messengers. We know that angels are created by God. You read that in Nehemiah 9.6, Colossians 1.16, right? Where men are created in the image of God, angels are not. We know that angels are ministering spirits. We see that Hebrews 1.14, and they are called holy angels in Luke 9.26. Even in the second chapter of, of Peter, second Peter, it says this, angels who are greater in power and might. It gives a descriptions of the abilities of these angels. We know throughout scriptures, it talks about the, that there are numerous angels. And we know from the time of Abraham to the present, they're used by, used by God for his purpose. So think about this. I said the angels were messengers. Think about the angel Gabriel that brought the message to, to Mary. We think of angels as warriors, like angel uh, Michael, who was this archangel who was a warrior. We angels were even used as agents for, for judgment. Think about the angel of death in, in the book of Exodus and throughout the scriptures when plagues and, and judgment came, God would, would use angels, Throughout the Bible, and especially the New Testament, what do you see? It was an angel that announced the birth of Jesus. It was an angel that served Jesus in the temptation. It was an angel that declared the resurrection and the ascension. We even have guardian angels that protect us. And they are these ministering spirits that guard people and protect people. We know that angels rejoice when one comes to faith and makes a commitment to, to Christ. And we know that angels will escort us into paradise when it comes time to, to be with, with Jesus. And it comes time for those who meet Jesus, those who are redeemed. And angels will escort Jesus on his return. We see that throughout the scriptures. We know that e even angels can take on a human nature. Remember in the scriptures, it gives warning how we treat one another because we could be entertaining angels. So we know that angels have a role in the scriptures. But we also know that there are fallen angels, angels who rebelled against God. And that's really what Peter's gonna address in the text here. The hell's angels birthed out of a, a rebellion. And before the fall of man, there was a fall of angelic beings. Angels that had high offices and services to God, and yet it was possible for them to fall. They had this position, yet they were vulnerable still. And they had a rebellion against God that led, led to a whole demonic force to be birthed. 
In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, let him who thinks he stands, lest he take heed, lest he falls. We're all susceptible to fall. Even the angelic beings were, were vulnerable. So we have to be careful of how we approach things and how we walk with the Lord. We see here pride before the fall. Let me, let me give you a little history of, of the birth of these hell's angels or these demonic angels, right? We know that Lucifer was a high-ranking archangel. He has different names. We know him as the devil, as the great dragon, as Satan, right? He rebelled against God. In fact, in Ezekiel 28, 15, it says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. So we know God created them till iniquity, iniquity was found in you. We know that in Isaiah chapter 14, 12 through 15, 12 through 15 we know that uh, Lucifer is spoken of in his pride, his arrogance. It speaks of Lucifer's pride. In verse 15, it even says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol or hell to the lowest depths of the pit. We know that there's a, a final judgment coming for Lucifer, yet it's not yet come, but we know that that's happening as we begin to look at the context of this verse of judgment. And so because of these fallen angels, they're actually demons. We see the origin of these demonic forces. And we know that when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, it talks about the description of he's like a dragon with a tail that swept a third of the angels with him. We see that in Revelation 12, 19. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it talks about the different ranks of demons that we battle in spiritual warfare. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, what principalities and against powers, against rulers and darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You're just going to have to do a study of that, of the look at the, the just the, the, who we battle on different levels and ranks of demons that are out there. But just like Lucifer and his angels have a final judgment, we all could be facing a final judgment. In fact, Jude 1.6 says this, the angel who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change on the darkness for the judgment of the great day. There's gonna be judgment for those that have fallen, specifically these, these angels. We know he gets into some more details about these angels and, and how they're gonna be judged and where they're, they're gonna go. Hell's angels will be incarcerated eternally in hell's abyss. We see that in verse four. See, fallen angels would not be spared from judgment. And Peter's gonna illustrate that if God can judge angels and the ancient world and Sodom and Gomorrah, he will judge false prophets and teachers. I think of the words of Aslam of Canterbury. He wrote this, sin against an infinite God is an infinite crime exacting infinite punishment. Now, Many struggle with the concept of hell and judgment. If God is a loving God, how can he judge and send anyone into eternal punishment? That's a question that a lot of people ask. But like a judge, God is not cruel if the judgment is just. We have a just God and he knows the whole picture and he'll make the right call every single time. But I want you to understand that God is not a God in heaven, you know, wanting to bring this judgment. In fact, Ezekiel 33, 11 says, the Lord God said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's not taking pleasure in heaven when a wicked one falls. Man may take pleasure when a wicked one falls, but God takes no pleasure in that. His desire that all men would come to repentance and come to know Christ. We know that in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it talks about judgment. It says this, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We are all appointed to the judgment seat. There's a judgment seat of the believer and there's a judgment seat of the unbeliever. We're specifically talking about the judgment of angels here. 
we see that angels have been cast and chained in hell, it says in verse four, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness. We see here the word hell, right? It's the word tardos in the Greek. That's a Greek word for hell. Um, it's, it's a Greek word for the underworld. In the Greek mythology, this was located in the lowest part of the underworld. It was a place where the rebellious God and the departed spirits of evil people, even the most wicked people would be cast to this abyss. Tartarus may be a, a special place in hell where some angels are chained in darkness. They called it the, the pit of gloom. And we see these, these fallen angels being thrown in this abyss, into this pit, into this, into this darkness. Now, let's look a little bit about the doctrine of hell that is taught in scriptures. Now, we know there are kind of two views about hell. Number one, there's the classical view that many probably hold today, that hell is eternal where there is weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42 and, and uh, Matthew 22, 13, we see that as Jesus speaks about that. Think about the story in Luke, the 16th chapter about the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus was a poor man and a rich man did take care of him. He was cast into, into hell. Or, um, and then we see that in verse 24, it says this, because we see this idea of torment here. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the dip, tip of his fingers on water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this Flame. We see this picture of torment uh, as we look at the picture of hell. But there's a, another view of hell called the annihilationist view, meaning that hell is eternal in consequence, but not in duration. What does that mean? Eternal means those that are separate from God are, are separate eternally. They're separate. They're not going to happen. They're, they're apart from God. We know that even Anything that's apart from God and apart from his love is hellish. But what they're saying is they, they have no relationship with God, but they would also have no eternal existence. I struggle with that because if that is true, then there's not true justice there. In fact, the Jehovah Witness believe and translate the word perish to mean nothingness or no existence. Sometimes they'll take much of the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms deal with the word perish. For example, in Psalm 1-6, it says, the way of the ungodly shall perish. And some say that translation does mean annihilation or without existence, but that's without existence on this earth. But they're still going to face the judgment of what they did on this side of heaven because the scripture speaks about that, that every man will be accountable for what he's done on this side of heaven. There is a, a judgment seat for all. We find the classical view in the Old Testament and the, in the New Testament. Think of Daniel chapter two, verse two. He speaks of the eternal life for some and shame and contempt for others. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it states that the devil, the beast, the false prophet will be thrown in the lake of fire where there'll be torment day and night. Now we know that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. We read that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. But we read here, some of the angels are incarcerated in chains of darkness, awaiting their final judgment in the lake of fire, Matthew 25, 41. Others are active in the demonic activity. So there are some that are incarcerated and some that are active in serving Lucifer. Those are the things that we battle today. Listen, we think about the fall of these angels and the pride of Lucifer. I'll tell you this, their pride and personal pursuits put them in bondage and they were cast down from the heights of their own excellency. These angels sinned in heaven 
and rebelled against God, the God of heaven, and their consequences is hell. In short, if they sin in heaven, they will suffer in hell. That's kind of the picture you're getting here. See, if we pursue things outside of God's will or design, we can easily become enslaved to those things. They will master us. Sin will master us. Sin debases and degrades the person who commits it. Sin is the work of darkness, and darkness is the wages of sin. In fact, Romans 2.9 says this, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. We will feel the consequences of sin. We will feel it spiritually. We will feel it physically. We will feel it emotionally if we walk in those things and the angels did this. What is Peter saying here in in this book? What is Peter's point? It's this, if God didn't spare fallen angels, surely he will not spare false teachers. Even if false teachers appear like angels, but in general, if he didn't spare the rebellious angels, he won't spare rebellious people. We see that in the text here, that there's a judgment coming. C.S. Lewis said this, hell is simply the result of God letting obstinate people have their way. And so we're seeing the judgment of angels. But then when you go to verse five, the fallen world will not exempt, be exempt from judgment in verse five. Look at this. And he did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. Parents, you probably had this experience because you guys have been in, in COVID lockdown right now, right? And you remember, remember when you got so frustrated uh, with your kids and your children that they were just out of control and you come and say, guys, stop it. And you say, I'm, I just had enough of you. I'm up, to, I'm up to here with you. I only have this much more before I lose it. You ever had that emotional outburst and frustration? How you say, I only have so much more patience. We have our limits as, as parents. I think so, this world is trying God's patience. The Lord said in Genesis chapter six, verse three, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. I think what the Lord is saying is, look at man, you're, you're pressing my patience, right? You're pressing my patience. Maybe God had enough with the world and he said enough is enough and God has his limits and God is not afraid to pull the trigger on sin. What does Peter do? Peter takes us all the way back to the ancient world, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. It's only a few generations from the fall and we see the state of the ancient world. The angels were cast down and the world was washed up and beyond redemption and God intervenes with judgment. So let's look at verse five. We see God's judgment on the ancient world. He takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter six through eight. It's the story of the flood. In Genesis Genesis chapter six, verse one to three, we see this invasion of the fallen angels. They're called the, the sons of God. And they intermarry with the daughters of men, producing giants in Genesis chapter 6-4. We call them the Nephilim for some who have studied uh, that passage. Some really believe this was a a demonic attack on the genealogy to produce and, and, and really to pollute the line of Christ. They wanted to taint it, right? Many believe that those angels that we just talked about that were incarcerated in hell could be these very angels. We see that in 2 Peter 2, 4. Are these these angels that are being incarcerated? Because it's leading, he's talking about angels and fallen angels in verse four, but now he's speaking about angels in, in verse five and these ones in Genesis chapter six. We know that Noah was set apart for a purpose. 
because these angels came to pollute this, this, this messianic line. Look what it says in Genesis 6, 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, but perfect in generations. Noah walked with God. What do you see here? We see God is protecting a kingling line. This line was not going to be tainted. This was not going to be marred. What's happening at this time in this ancient world? This ancient world was corrupt, this ancient world was corrupt and, and was rebellious. Genesis 6, 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The picture gives us the ancient world was corrupt and violent. We even see that in verses 11 through 13 in Genesis chapter 6. And because of their sin, the Lord did not spare or did not abstain his actions of judgment. In fact, some words found in the same word is found in Romans 8.32, right? The, the word there, to, to spare. In Romans 11, and then Romans 11.21, in Romans 11.21, it says this, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Who were the natural branches? That was Israel. If he didn't spare his own, the ones that were the apple of his eye, surely if we're rebellious, he won't spare us. Even us that might even become prideful in adopting us. In Romans 8.32, he says, he who did not spare his, his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He didn't even spare his own son, Jesus. He allowed him to suffer and die for our sake, that we would have redemption. And so the judgment came by, by water. The ancient world was flooded by water. It was destroyed by a flood. And God brought the flood. It said, for God brought this judgment. Now, I want you to understand that this flood, it was not a local flood. Because the Lord promised that he would never do it again. And we know that the rainbow is a symbol of that. But we also have local floods in our worlds today. So if, God, if it was a local flood, then God had broken his promise. This flood was a worldwide flood. Now we have to understand that he promised that he'll never destroy the world by a flood again. But we do understand that the world will be destroyed by fire. We only have to go to chapter three of second Peter to read this by the same word present heaven and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So in the ancient world, he destroyed the world by water. And in our present time, he'll destroy the word world by fire. But in the midst of all this judgment, we find hope. We find hope in the scriptures, right? We see that the latter part of verse five. We see this little sunshine in the, in the gray skies in the passage. The, the sun rays will appear more in the coming verses as we, we move on. Like light shines brightest in the darkest. I remember when I was to get married, I, I went to the jewelry store to buy my wife a diamond ring. And when they pulled it out, they pulled it out in a, a little black box. And when they opened the box, there was this shiny diamond ring, this, this beautiful ring, because it's shown because the, the, the backdrop was dark and the ring was bright and it's, it irradiated is what we see here. That's what you see in the story here. There's this diamond in the roof called Noah and we see his beauty in the darkness. We see this man who, he was the light in this dark time. There's hope. We're finding hope in the scriptures. God says people in the darkest times. The ancient world was a dark time, but God intervened with man, with a man named Noah. Now, we're looking at Genesis chapter six. And in Genesis chapter six, he's called a righteous man, a man who walked with God. We know that he was moral in character. 
God always has faithful remnants. He always has a faithful church. Those who don't collapse under the pressure of the culture of the day. Those who are willing to sustain their integrity and, and walk with God, like Enoch walked with God and was taken in Genesis chapter five. We know that God saves because salvation is the Lord. And God called them out and, and set them apart for such a time as that time in the ancient world. We know in Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, that, that he was saved by faith and by his faith that proved produced in obedience. In fact, Hebrews eleven seven says this, by faith Noah being divinely warmed of things not yet seen, they never saw rain at that time in Genesis six, moved with godly fear. There was a reverent fear. He had an honor for God, prepared an art for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. The work of God and the salvation of God is by God. When the flood came, God shut the door of the ark, which symbol of the salvation of Noah's family. He shut him in. We know that God saves. Man cannot save himself. When Noah took his family in, him, his wife, sons, daughters, all them came in, they're married couples there. God shut the door. God seals the salvation, the Lord, that that's the day of the Lord who saves. Today is the same thing, guys. In fact, the word, the word save translates to keep watch or to guard from perishing. In Christ, we have been protected from the accusations of the enemy and the judgment to come because we have been covered by the blood of Christ. God seals our redemption. He is our protector. He guards us. It says here that Noah is a preacher of righteousness in verse five. So in Genesis chapter six, verse three, we see this, this period of God's grace for 120 years. For 120 years, he gets a vision. He starts building an ark and he starts preaching the gospel. He's, a, he's preaching a, maybe a message of repentance to the people, right? Can you imagine, remember, it gave a picture of the ancient day. It was a violent place. Every intention was hard. You only have to go to Romans chapter one, verses 18 on down and, and 2 Timothy chapter three. Go look at those passages. You're gonna see some very similarities of Noah's days and our days. In contrast to false prophets, you have a teacher preaching peace and peace to Noah who's giving warning to the ancient world. He was a preacher of righteousness, preventing the true gospel and preaching the true gospel. That's what we see here. In fact, Colossians 1.28 says this as a responsibility as pastors today. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. But I look at Noah's story and for 120 years he's preaching and he had no converts. Just his family was saved. I mean, maybe the first place we preach is to our own family minister to our own family. For 120 years, he faithfully preached. Two things, either he was a terrible preacher or the hearts of the people were so hard, they rejected the message of hope. You know what, it's a great picture of the church today. We're in this age of grace today. This is the season where we proclaim the gospel for those that are coming to our services, to those that are online, we're preaching this message of hope. 
And we see what, that's our responsibility. Even the most difficult times, even this COVID time and all the issues we're seeing in our streets and the racism, the struggles we're seeing, guys, this is our time we preach the gospel. This is the COVID-19 pandemic and we've come to realize that nobody is promised tomorrow. So we need to be ready today for today is the day of salvation. The time is short. We are living in troubled times and the only unifier is the gospel. The gospel received by faith is the justifier. The gospel will quit us of all our sins. Now, Noah, think about this. He's preaching for 120 years. How do you think the people responded to his preaching? They probably rejected him. They probably ridiculed him. They laughed at him. He looked foolish. Think about it, for 120 years, you're talking about repentance and you're building a boat, right? You're building a boat in the desert and you're saying, get ready because water's coming when there's never even been rain. But he persevered through the persecution. He persevered in obedience to the call of God. We are the same, are called to persevere in this time to preach the gospel. We know that Noah put his full trust in God by building a boat and preaching for 120 years. Noah will be judged for his righteousness as false teachers will be judged for their unrighteousness. So Jesus said this even now. He said, Jesus said that the sign of my coming will be like the days of Noah. Just reference Luke 17, 26 to 29 and Matthew 24, 37 to 39. Look at our days right now. What's happening on our streets? What's, what's happening in our world? Have people received Christ? Have they rejected Christ? Are they doing what's only right in their own eyes? Are they futile in their own thinking? Have they rejected God and say, I don't want him? They come up with their own morals and their own values, but God's word is not the authority. What is Peter's point in all these, in these two stories? The world will be judged for its actions, but we find hope in the gospel. The false, the false teachers will bring destruction on themselves, but the faithful will be saved from the faithless world. So I close with these three thoughts, guys, to remind you. Number one, God will judge the heavenly realm who rebelled. We see him judging these fallen angels, these hellish angels they judged. Number two, we see that God will judge the earthly realm who reject his truth. The ancient world rejected the message. They rejected the, the, the message from Noah. And lastly, God will justify those who put their trust in the gospel. Through the message of the gospel, people will be justified by faith when they receive him. And so we see that there is judgment, but we also see a little sun rays and sunrise and a little bright in the midst of the gray. We see a little bit of hope taking place. And so my challenge for you today is we've been studying 2 Peter. We're gonna, that's just part one. We're getting to part two of Sodom and Gomorrah next week and looking at more of the hope that's to come. But I want you to understand that there's a time of judgment there's a time that we need to repent. There's a time that we need to come to faith. And maybe you're watching online this morning and maybe you've never made that commitment to Christ. You're not even sure what that means, what it means to be born again or born of the spirit. I know that's a lot of religious talk, but really it's just getting right with God. It's really about repenting and just changing the way you're thinking and the way you're doing and allowing God to work in you. And you come to God by faith and you ask God to come live in you and you ask him to, for, to come for, uh, forgive your sins and he'll wash you of that by faith if you come to him. He says, this is the work of God that you believe upon me, Jesus said. We are saved by faith through grace, not the works that we do that we should boast, but that he's created us for good works. 
Noah came to God by faith and then produced good works. He didn't do good works so that he could earn faith. That's not how it works. We come to God by faith. And so what I want to do this morning is just pray with you. Maybe you're online and maybe you never made a, a commitment to Christ. I just want to pray these things. You can repeat this prayer and come to faith. And if you're watching, just make a little note. Maybe just say, hey, I made a commitment to Christ with some of the things you're seeing online. And I just want to pray this. Just pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that I've heard the gospel message. The gospel message is this, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of sins. And that those who call upon his name, those who ask for forgiveness, God will forgive. And then you will enter in by faith. If you're listening today, just pray with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are the son of God. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come and live in me that I would walk with you, that I would learn to love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and love my neighbor as you have loved me. Lord, thank you for coming and filling me. I trust you by faith, and I want to walk with you by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you, if you just come and made that commitment, let us know that you made that so we can follow up with you and, and talk with you in case you have any questions. We want to just kind of reach out to you today. And just keep following us as we've been continuing on in the study and we'll be getting in that, that you'll be a part of, of the work that God's doing in your life through the teaching of the word. So may the Lord bless you guys. Thank you, family. I hope to see you tonight as we're gathering to study the gospel of Mark at Lemon Grove. I'll see you at five o'clock. Love you guys. See you tonight. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.